Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, Major Junior. Hey, Connor McDavid of the Erie Otters. Matt Barzell of Seattle Thunderbirds. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. I'm Braden Holpe for the Saskatoon Blades. This is Gabriel Landeskog. I'm playing for the Kitchen Rangers. Hi, this is Sean Couturier from the Drummondville Voltager. Carter Hart of the Everett Silvertips. This is Taylor Hall of the Windsor Spitfire. Nathan McKinnon from the Halifax Mooseheads. NCAA. Hey, this is Jack Eichel. I play at Boston University. It's Alex Turcotte. Hey, it's Kale McCarver. Hey, this is Jack Drury. Hey, it's Kyle Connor. Hi, this is Ian Mitchell of the Denver University Pioneers. It's Morgan Barron from Cornell University. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. Hello, this is uh, Jerry York, the coach at Boston College. The World Juniors. My name is Andres Fischko from uh, Team Russia. Hey, it's Joel Ferby from Team USA. It's Norris Sider from Germany. I'm Philip Broberg of the Team Sweden. It's Ellie Paul Lennon. Hey, it's Nikolai Ehlers. It's Matt Sogard. Hi, it's Timo Meyer. Hi, this is Jordan Edwards of Team Canada. The NHL Draft. This is Alexis Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Hi, it's Gordon Bicep from the Sudbury Wolves. Connor Derry from the Camelot Blazers. I'm Alexander Holtz. I'm Lucas Freeman. Cole Perfetti of the Saginaw Spirit. Dylan Holler from the Wisconsin Badgers. Hey, it's Jake Sanson. I play for Team USA. Brady Schneider, Caden Dooley. Here's Marco Rossi. I'm from the other sound. And more. Excellent! This is the Pipeline Show. Well, good weekend, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. I'm very happy that you can join me once again. If you're a newcomer to the show, then welcome aboard. And if you're a returning listener, then welcome back. And, of course, if you are uh, one who has uh, joined the growing list of uh, patrons at patreon.com slash Show, then extra special thank you to you because your contributions each month Help keep the lights on here for the Pipeline Show. Help keep us uh, going and growing. Big news this week for the Pipeline Show is uh, a new title sponsor. It's been a long time since we had a title sponsor for the show, back when we were on radio, as a matter of fact, uh, when it was uh, performance paving back then. A much more delicious uh, title sponsor now, Wilhock Beef Jerky. They're located in Leduc and Spruce Grove. And I swear, I promise you, I am not saying this just because they are the title sponsor of the show. It's the best damn beef jerky I have ever had. Went to Spruce a couple of days ago, uh, actually just yesterday, and bought four pounds of beef jerky. And uh, a, a lot of it is already gone, as I shared it with my family. It's outstanding. If you are a person who loves beef jerky as much as I do, uh, you're really going to like it. Now, here's the catch. Wilhock Beef Jerky, you have to get it at the stores, but you can also order it from the stores and it will get shipped to you. You can't find this at your local uh, 7-Eleven or something like that uh, because that stuff's not fresh. This beef jerky, it's unbelievable. First off, it's delicious, but it is fresh. And that's the difference right there. I I think that's the difference, but it's probably the seasoning and the spices that are involved and the way they do it. So I mentioned there are two locations, one in Leduc, Alberta at 6053 47th Street. The phone number over there is 780-986-2537, and they will take your orders over the phone, and they will ship it to you anywhere in Western Canada. So the number again in Leduc, 780-986-2537. In Spruce Grove, I haven't been to the Leduc location yet, but the Spruce Grove one, I went and saw Trevor, and gave me a little tour of uh, what they have, and it's a lot more than just jerky. You can get some beef patties. I saw a bunch of... Uh, sauces, cooking sauces, barbecue sauces, uh, marinades, things like that as well. I, I think they had some coffee. There's lots to explore. 
Uh, the Spruce Grove location is located on McLeod Avenue, 201 McLeod Avenue, and the number over there is 780-571-1515-1515. So in Leduc, you ask for Trent. In Spruce, you ask for Trevor. And they will fix you up. Let them know the Pipeline Show sent you or that you heard it about it on the Pipeline Show or saw me tweeting about it at TPS underscore Gee. And uh, they will take care of you. Absolutely delicious. And uh, I, I always love it. In fact, 99% of the sponsors that uh, you hear me talk about on the Pipeline Show are because I've used the product and I want to tell people about it. And that is absolutely the case with Wilhock Beef Jerky. So you're going to hear about it a lot here on the program. Thrilled to have them on board. Might even change the question of the week to the beef of the week or something like that. And this week's question of the week, which I haven't put up on Twitter yet, I will do it here uh, as I'm speaking with you right now. In fact, what I'll do is I'll, I'll hit pause on the recording and uh, type it into the, the old Twitter machine and post it. It's going to be, give me your all-Canadian freshman team in the NCAA this year. So not just freshmen, but they got to be Canadians playing Division One hockey. Three forwards, two defense, and a goaltender. I will be revealing my all-freshman team and uh, my all-Canadian team next week here on the Pipeline Show. And uh, we'll endeavor to get one of those uh, players on the program, the all-Canadians and the all-Canadian freshmen, next week here on the Pipeline Show. But that'll be the question of the day on Twitter, at TPS underscore Gee. Speaking of Division One hockey, the playoffs get going tonight in the NCAA your NCHC tournament, the matchups are Colorado College against St. Cloud State, North Dakota against Miami. Those two uh, get going tonight. Tomorrow, it's Denver against Omaha and Western Michigan against Minnesota Duluth. And it is single elimination. The winners advance to Monday, and then the two finalists face off on Tuesday. That's the NCHC in the WCHA. We have Ferris State taking on Minnesota State. Bemidji State welcomes Michigan Tech. Bowling Green hosts Northern Michigan, and Alabama Huntsville will play uh, the Lakers of Lake Superior. In the Atlantic Hockey Conference, you have Sacred Heart going against Army. Canisius welcomes RIT. Robert Morris will take on Niagara. The Big Ten starts on Sunday. Penn State going up against Notre Dame. Michigan State squares off with the Golden Gophers of Minnesota. Then you have Ohio State and Michigan, two arch-rival programs there. Hockey East also begins on Sunday. There you've got the Riverhawks of UMass Lowell against Boston University. UConn against Providence. Boston College squares off with New Hampshire. And Northeastern will face Massachusetts. So a busy, busy weekend in Division I college hockey and also busy in the WHL. As another division gets going this weekend, that would be the Eastern Division. Uh, welcome to the uh, season for the seven teams in Saskatchewan and Manitoba. They are all bubbled up in Regina. Four teams in action tonight. We have the Brandon Wheat Kings and the Moose Jaw Warriors, as well as Prince Albert and Regina. That means that Connor Bedard, exceptional status player, gets to make his WHL debut tonight against the PA Raiders. In Central Division play, you have Lethbridge in Red Deer and Calgary hosting Medicine Hat. The Oil Kings are off this weekend. On Saturday, Saskatoon and Swift Current collide winnipeg and brandon so uh some of the other teams getting into play as well in the regina bubble five games in the alberta junior hockey league tonight the calgary canucks are in brooks camrose welcomes drum heller sherwood park travels to bonneville white court 
hosting Drayton Valley, and the Spruce Grove Saints are up in Fort McMurray as AJHL Hockey returns uh, to the ice. No firm update yet uh, that I've seen as I'm speaking with you right now about the Ontario Hockey League, but rumblings that things are progressing and getting closer, and it seems like now that the WHL is up and running and another uh, division has started, and we're exp- the U.S. Division will start next weekend, and the BC Division the weekend after that, a lot of pressure now on the uh, government in Ontario, especially because the NHL is playing, that uh, the OHL is allowed to return as well. Nothing official yet, but lots of rumblings that it's not that far off. So great to see, great to hear that. Uh, I do have a guest on the program today who touches on that a little bit as well. I'll tell you who that is momentarily in the queue this weekend. No games on Friday, but uh, St. John and Moncton meet on Saturday, as do Charlottetown and the Cape Breton Eagles. Sunday sees Bathurst and St. John and Charlottetown and Halifax uh, playing. No games right now scheduled in the province of Quebec. Six games scheduled in the USHL for tonight. One of them postponed. The U.S. U18 squad or the U.S. National Development Team was uh, supposed to be in Muskegon today. Uh, That one postponed. Games in Youngstown, Chicago, Lincoln, Omaha, and uh, Sioux Falls all scheduled for tonight. Top team in the USHL is Chicago Steel with a record of 25-9-3-1. They have 54 points. That's seven more than the Muskegon, Green Bay, one point back of the, of the Lumberjacks. That's in the Eastern Conference. In the West, it's the Fargo Force on top with 50 points. The Omaha Lancers with 47. You go down to Tri-City Storm in third place. And Des Moines just one point back of them. Most teams have played somewhere in the 30s. And for games, Youngstown's only played 32. Fargo and Omaha have played 39. So, Bit of a difference there in some of the games played, obviously, because of all the postponements and things like that. Top scorer in the league is Sean Farrell, and draft-eligible Matt Coronado has 63 points. He's seven back of Farrell. Eric Middendorf has 53, and Josh Doan with 50. All four of those players from the same team, of course. That's the Chicago Steel. All right, let's get to the uh, guest list for this week's episode. Of course, all of my guests join me courtesy the Troubled Monk hotline. I have my uh, fresh supply of uh, Troubled Monk beverages I will be enjoying and sharing this weekend as I uh, head over to my brother's place for a socially distanced backyard uh, fire pit extravaganza and uh, taking him a case of Troubled Monk. He's an absolute beginner when it comes to uh, craft beverages, so I'm going to be taking him a taster pack, so he's got uh, a variety of uh, options to try. Dip his toe into the pool, that is, craft beer and craft beverages. Of course, with the taster pack, you get the Golden Gates and the Open Road American Brown Ale, the Pesky Pig, and the Bucktooth Belgian White, so three cans of each flavor there. In my last shipment, I asked the monks to send me some of the adequate vodka, soda, and lemon-lime uh, cans and because uh, I wanted to try them and they're great it, it's never something that I've had before but very very well very tasty very drinkable so maybe you're not a beer person but do you, you would like to try some uh, craft beverages other than beer that are available from Troubled Monk well that's an option for you the adequate vodka soda and lime they also have a gin and soda which is uh, it's good I like the lime a little bit better when I had the gin and soda, I'd actually squirt a little lime juice into it just to give it an extra little kick. Uh, they also have the Troubled Tea, which is a hard iced tea. I know a lot of people are fans of that as well. 
And as usual, when I go to the uh, the troubledmonk.com slash shop page, a bunch of new ones that I haven't had a chance to try yet. If the crown fits, it's a Dole Whip Kettle Sour. It's a bunch of pineapples on the can, so that'll probably give you a pretty good indication of that flavor. And another made in the shade, this time a blueberry fruit. I have had the passion fruit one. I have not had the blueberry one. But whichever flavors you try, what you do if you're in Alberta and you live between Calgary and St. Albert and all the towns in between, including the big cities like Edmonton and Sherwood Park and Red Deer, but as well all those uh, towns along Highway 2 like Leduc and Pinoka and Wetaskiwin and Lacombe, Millet and south of Red Deer, you get into Olds and Carstairs and Airdrie, all of those towns, you order from Troubled Monk online. And use the promo code PIPELINE. I've been telling you about it for darn well near a year now. You can get your beer delivered right to your door for free. You pay for the beer, or the spirits, or the soda, but the delivery is absolutely free. Just for using promo code PIPELINE. So why wouldn't you? That's at troubledmonk.com shop. And the fine folks over at the Monk, they will take care of you. Let me know what you try and uh, how much you enjoyed it. All right, the guest list today, I had four interviews planned. One fell through, so this show, three guest interviews. We will start by getting an update from the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, Willie Palov, who writes for the Halifax Chronicle Herald. He covers the Halifax Mooseheads. He joined me earlier in the week. Uh, from there, we'll go to Alex Young, who is a San Jose Sharks prospect, a seventh-round pick by the Sharks in the 2020 draft. Longtime member of the Canmore Eagles in the Alberta Junior Hockey League, just wrapped up his freshman season, the regular season at least, at Colgate and uh, ended up leading the team in scoring. I decided to get him on the show this week. And the third and final guest for this week's episode is uh, Brock Otten, who covers the Ontario Hockey League as well as anyone. But in this case, we're looking at the OHL players in the AHL. So sort of... Uh, a crossover here with uh, OHL and AHL content. Uh, but did you know there's 28 OHL players playing right now in the American Hockey League? Some of them are having uh, more success than others, but uh, Brock is going to let us know all about that. And is that uh, maybe opening the door to a rule change here between the CHL and the NHL when it comes to allowing players into the American Hockey League? We'll discuss with Brock Otten. So lots to get to on the program today, uh, but we will start with an update from the queue, Willie Palov. He joins me first here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhawk Beef Jerky. And Raymond stays with him, Lafreniere pokes it ahead, still has it. Rolling puck, Lafreniere works it, shoots, scores! What a goal by Alexi Lafreniere! A superstar in the making! This is Alexi Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Troubled Monk Brew of the Week. Hey, this one's great on ice. Why is that, bud? Troubled Monk Troubled Tea. This surprising beverage is low in sugar, zero carbonation, and has an unmistakable real tea taste. Alberta's first and only hard iced tea. Player comparable, Jack Eichel. Silky smooth and super skilled, but a little softer and enjoyed by all. Troubled Monk, visit the tap room in Red Deer or get free same-day home delivery in Alberta by placing an order at troubledmonk.com. Troubled Monk. Craft beverages worth sharing. Hey 
You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Great Scott! We are back on The Pipeline Show, and let's kick off this week's episode with a, a CHL Insider segment. And uh, this week's Insider coming to us all the way from Halifax. That, of course, is Willie Paloff, who writes for the Halifax Chronicle Herald, covering the uh, Mooseheads and the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Willie, welcome back to the program. How are things in Halifax? Yeah, we're good. Uh, you know, ups and downs like everywhere, but everyone's hanging in here. Well, uh, let's talk about the queue and uh, what's happened since the return to play after the, the league had to shut down, uh, what, uh, in late November, early December, something like that? Yeah, yeah. First shutdown, well, the first full shutdown was November 20th, but uh, that was a little deceiving because uh, there were kind of regional shutdowns about to happen. Uh, they had done some bubbles up in Quebec. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were going to do another one, but then they just thought, you know what, the uh, Christmas break's coming up. Let's just extend it, regroup, and go from there. So, uh, yeah, they are uh, actually tonight. Literally, is the first night where play is allowed in all regions. So, mm. New Brunswick teams haven't played since November twentieth. Um, PEI and Nova Scotia were off for almost a couple of weeks. And then, of course, in Quebec, they're still bubbling. So uh, tonight is first time in months that we're all back. So good stuff. Good stuff for sure. Now, it's funny when I look at the standings, and I remember so much talk about the, the maritime bubble for COVID and how successful it was. And then, you know, just looking at the amount of games the three teams in New Brunswick have played compared to everybody else, and Moncton, St. John, and Bathurst have only played 13 to 15 games each. Everybody else is well over 20, some into the 30s. What changed in New Brunswick? Well, it, you know, like anything, uh, you know, you let your guard down for a minute and it'll get away from you. That's how this COVID works is I'm not, I don't have to tell you that. So, yeah. um, I think what happened is, uh, it was going great, uh, in New Brunswick, like the other three Atlantic provinces and uh, around the holidays, um, they just weren't careful enough there and had, they had an outbreak, right? The, the cases went up. I mean, I know this is low compared to a lot of places, but they got up around, 400 and that's just too many cases to uh have places open so they really had to buckle down after uh, christmas and cases now are down under 30 i think the last time i checked or around 30 and that was uh, at that time that they could let the teams uh play again they've been practicing for a few weeks but uh, again it's just a reminder that um you really have to be on the preventative side for this to work and and Fortunately, they've been good that way in Nova Scotia. We had a little spike here um, a few weeks ago, and they shut down. And, and you know, some people were a little upset because the cases weren't high, but they nipped it in the bud, and we were only really shut down from sports for a week or two. So um, we're, we're happy. Most people are happy that we can at least have things here. So you know, here we are again. Uh, I hope that the New Brunswick cases continue going down ours continue going down and same for charlottetown and then we might get a proper division here again in another couple of weeks that would, that would be really nice willie when i look at the standings uh, on the q's website it's listing the teams now in terms of uh, first place's highest winning percentage and with the big disparage between the the, the games played for teams is that what we should expect for the rest of the year? I mean, or is the hope that every team will play the same amount of games by the time the regular season uh, is uh, is finished? And when when right now is that plan uh, for the season to be done? Yeah. So the, the first question is, they will all be winning percentages. That uh, 
Well, that was one of the smartest decisions they made because it's just hard to put pressure on teams and provinces to, to catch up. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm thinking about the, the Dallas Stars right now in the NHL. What, what are they going to play, like 40 games and or 30 and 70 days or something crazy like that? It's not safe, right? Especially where these are, you know, supposedly student athletes, a lot of them still in high school. They do have to go to class and everything else. So it's going to be winning percentage. But uh, they also decided – that everybody would make the playoffs this year. Mm-hmm. It was just such an unusual year. It was so hard to guarantee what what was going to happen. So they're letting everybody in, and uh, they're they're last I checked anyway, they're going to still have a format where teams play within their division in the playoffs too. So the hope, I guess, is that uh, in another couple of months, because well they don't really know when they're going to end the season, I guess was the answer to your last question. But the hope is that another month or two or whenever it is that they do shut down that uh, after a while through the playoffs, there's, there's enough uh, vaccines out or it's opened up enough that maybe they can have a proper championship semifinal and final. But uh, the good thing about the Quebec league is they're not afraid to improvise. Right. So <laughs> That's true. Um, they did. They they weren't even planning on having a bubble leading into the season, and before you know it, they had one in November. So wherever we end up with this, uh, I think they'll find a way. That's at least uh, been the bottom line down here, and I'm sure the fans appreciate that. It's, you know, in the end, there will be a championship. And speaking of fans, uh, we're seeing it now in the NHL, at least south of the border, where fans are starting to be allowed back into the buildings, and I know. Uh, places like college and and the USHL, they've had fans uh, throughout as well. Uh, we don't have fans yet here in the WHL. What about in the queue? I know in some places it it was back in November. What's the situation now? So it varies, right? It, there are no fans inside the bubbles in Quebec. So that's 12 of the teams. In fact, just this week was the first time uh, all year that they decided to let media and scouts into the games before that it was very very strict so um they're they're allowing that now but still no fans and i think it'll stay that way for the year you just it's you just can't pull a bubble off any other way i don't think so um and then down here um there are three provinces so some of it is dictated by uh, the provincial restrictions but i'll use the moose as a as an example so here in nova scotia they've the capacity of the rink is a little over 10,000 and uh, right now they're allowed, it, it, it comes in at about 1500 and earlier in the year it was up around 2000. That was the absolute most they would let in. And and even within that, it's pretty highly organized. So you, you have a section that you're allowed to be in. Um, you're only allowed to use a certain exit and washroom concessions are only in the seats. Uh, you know, and you have to walk in and out of the building following a specific path and things like that. And, you know, for myself, I go there, uh, they, they do my, they check my temperature, COVID uh, protocols and everything else. So it's, uh, it's, it's not bad, actually. You would think that 1500 people in a building that size, you wouldn't notice it, but you actually do. It's enough to make a bit of noise. And I know the players like it because there was a period there in January where even here in Nova Scotia, they didn't let the fans in. And uh, a couple of players said it was a little depressing in, in the empty buildings. Uh, you know, all there was was sort of the piped in arena sound. So uh, 
we'll hope at least that that's the way we can keep doing it here till the re- for the rest of the year. Willie Palov covering the Mooseheads. He's my guest, writes for the Halifax Chronicle Herald. Let's talk about uh, what you've seen on the ice uh, thus far. Uh, right now, Halifax, I guess, in the bottom uh, third of the league. But overall, Charlottetown and Valdor seem to be the two teams uh, that have it going on this year, uh, both of them well over 800 with their winning percentage. Uh, are they are those two teams the class of the league, uh, as far as you know? Oh, definitely. I mean, first with Charlottetown, uh, what I didn't really explain is they've only been playing the Mooseheads and the Cape Breton Eagles uh, the past six weeks or so. Wow. So it's just been a three-team. Yeah, it's been uh, – I'm going to watch them, Halifax and Charlottetown later tonight, for example. So – um, not, not that Halifax and Cape Breton aren't good teams, but Charlottetown is better. So that's, uh, they win every, you know, gotta be at least four out of every five games they right. play because they're only playing the same two teams, which are really still in the rebuilding part of their cycle. So, but that said, uh, they are a really good team. Um, just the way they're organized and, uh, the way they skate and the way they're coached, um, they're, they're built for a good run this year. And then, of course, up in Valdor, uh, they were one of the teams to be going into the year, and I don't know how closely you follow, but they just loaded up at Christmas yeah. time with trades. They, I, I think they just felt like, uh, even with the chance that it could all be shut down, you, you, you kind of have to strike when the iron's hot in, in junior, otherwise your players just graduate and you don't have anything anyway. So, so yeah, they brought in uh, you know Jordan Spence and Samuel Poulain and Nathan Lagare, uh, you know names that people probably know even outside our league, first round NHL picks and Team Canada players. And um, so, yeah, they, they're, they're really stacked. And, and, and probably the last team I would throw in there might be St. John, but they've played so few games that it's, it's hard to say that they can catch up to those teams. They had a slow start to begin with. And although they're stacked, uh, I'm not sure how, how well you can come together in a short period where you've had so many stops and starts, but they have the personnel to maybe uh, at least be uh, in that conversation. So again, now that we're getting to full 18 team league again, I'm looking forward to seeing if they can actually turn it up now. Elliot Denoye with the uh, Mooseheads got off to such a hot start at the beginning of the year. I mean, he was leading the league in scoring for a stretch. He's fallen out of the top 10 now, but you look back and, he had 12 points in six games in November. He's only had five points in the last, I don't know what it is, 11 or something like that. What's changed? I think it was just that Christmas, that really long Christmas break. You know, they went home on November 20th, or, you know, they stopped playing November 20th, and then they went home. Of course, he's from Quebec, so I haven't talked to him about it, but, uh, you know, he lives in a, at the time what was a red zone. And I'd say the same about Zachary LaRue. Uh, he went home, and he had – also had a really hot start. And then I don't know. I just don't know how much they were able to practice and, and stay sharp. So um, when they came back, uh, I know they did practice and everything else, but it's really hard when you're, you're talking about a six or an eight week or even longer interruption in your year. So that momentum they had early on, it just evaporated, but uh, they both played better the last two weeks. So um, it's looking like they're back where they were, but uh, I think sometimes we underestimate how hard it is to just ramp up and and, and flip that switch with, uh, with with such a crazy interruption like that. For sure, and and with that big break, I mean, have there been other teams as well that it seems to have affected more than others? You know, it's it's hard for me to say about the teams in Quebec 
because I don't, uh, I literally don't get to watch them play. Right. Um, and Cape, Cape Breton had made uh, a few changes too. You know, they, they traded away some of their older players because th- this was going to be a building year for them. So it, it, it didn't affect them so much, but what it did do is it did, like I mentioned earlier, all of that helped Charlottetown, uh, you know, with the Mooseheads having a young team and then Cape Breton getting younger. Charlottetown didn't slow down. They came back and they were better than before. Um, I have no explanation for that, uh, except that I know Jim Halton does a great job coaching them and they're very organized and, and they play hard. But uh, when you see young teams like the other two have to step back and, uh, you know, it's it's kind of a feeding frenzy when you get an experienced team like Charlottetown. So the flip side can also be true. Sometimes a break uh, can help a team, you know, gain some separation, right? Willie, you mentioned the St. John uh, Sea Dogs, and I know they had Joshua Waugh with them, uh, and he's the first overall pick in the league, but there seemed to be some uh, some tension uh, between he and the organization. They ended up moving him uh, before the deadline. He's now in Sherbrooke. Production-wise, he's about the same as he was in St. John, although his plus-minus has certainly taken a hit uh, now that he's with the Phoenix. But what do you make of that? the way that all transpired? Yeah, I mean... I wish I could say I got really far into the weeds on that, but as you know, when you're talking about a 17 year old and, and this level, it's it's going to be a little guarded about how much information they share. But as you mentioned, the bottom line was that it just wasn't, it wasn't working out. There wasn't the right fit there. And I, I don't know what the reasons were for that. Maybe he, uh, he felt like he should be um, playing a more prominent role, but sometimes that's hard when you have older players on your team. Uh, maybe he just wanted to be closer to home and be in Quebec. You know, th- these are just guesses, but hmm. um, the team he wound up on in Sherbrooke uh, had just unloaded most of their top players. So um, from a team perspective, he went somewhere he's not going to win now, and it's going to take some work for them to be a contender next year. So uh individually i suppose it's good he's he's going to a place where he's going to be the top threat um he's getting all the power play time he could ever want first line everything else so from a draft perspective and and a production perspective i suppose that helps um although i think if you're an nhl scout you have questions you know what happened and why did this happen usually you want to see a number one overall pick go somewhere and kind of rise to the challenge of, of being a franchise guy and it didn't happen. So that, that might cause some teams to flag him, but uh, he is a good player. If we're talking about skill alone, he's from the, from the blue line down, um, he's really dangerous. So uh, I think he'll fill the net up there and, you know, maybe uh, they'll turn it around quicker than I expect in Sherbrooke. But uh, unfortunately I don't get to watch him as much anymore. So yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the personal downside. He's gone out of my region. All right, uh, and as you mentioned, he is draft eligible this year, and as usual, there are four or five guys out of the queue who could, I suppose, be uh, potential first-round picks. Is there a clear-cut best guy out of the queue this year for the draft, in your opinion? I don't think so. Um, the, the Probably the top grouping would be Zachary Leroux here in Halifax, and then there's Zachary Bolduc in Ramouski, and in Schwinnigan, Xavier Bourgault. They're probably the top three, and depending on who you talk to, they, they might uh, move one higher than the other. But I don't know that any of those guys will even uh, rise out of the 20 to 30 range. Right. Um, 
Um, maybe a hot, maybe a hot finish would help that. Uh, on skill alone, I, I know some people push push Wah into that conversation too, and there are a few other kids that are uh, really doing well, sort of at the top end of the second round. Uh, you know, Evan Noss in Quebec and Zachary Dean and Gatineau, even Cameron Why not here in Halifax, a few others too. But it's not like last year where obviously Lafreniere was way ahead of everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, so for, for these guys, they've actually, for the most part anyway, they're playing a couple dozen games. So at least they're being seen. And I, I think if we get a good uh, stretch of continuity here, they, they could rise up a little bit, but um I would think that maybe 15 or so would be would be the ceiling on some of those guys. But at least they're being seen. I think that's the key thing there is. I mean, their OHL counterparts are haven't played at all, and their WHL counterparts barely have played and will you know play 24 games max and maybe playoffs. But um, the fact that the Q's been able to play, even though they had the long stoppage, but uh, to play somewhat of a you know, by the, when it's all said and done, what are they going to play? Hopefully 50-ish games? Well, for Lucky, yeah. I mean, at least 40. Uh, and that's 40 more than they're playing in the OHL. Right. Uh, and the other thing, too, is, uh, as I mentioned earlier, now scouts can watch them in the building. You you ask the scout, and it's, it's really hard to judge off uh, a webcast or even a TV broadcast. Some of those intangibles they need to see. Yeah. So... Uh, I, I wouldn't know exactly how it's set up in the WHL, but they're playing from uh, a disadvantage just being this late in the year, let alone they might might not get in-person viewing. And, of course, the OHL, I do feel for those kids. I mean, you know, some of them uh, haven't even played in the league yet. Uh, or if they did, they were first-year, 16-year-olds last year, and uh, that can be hit or miss with ice time. So, um you know, it's a good thing scouts are thorough. They 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 have a, a long, uh, you know, a lot of background they can work off. But it's just not the same as when they can start a season and, and see a progression. We've seen it a million times where a kid's an average player, and the next thing you know, he he breaks out in his draft year. So I know these Quebec kids really appreciate the fact that that at least the draft eligible ones uh, for the purpose of their draft. Uh, have been able to show what they can do and, and to get better, literally. Like, they get to be on the ice and practice and play, and that helps a lot. No doubt about that. Willie, as always, it's a, a pleasure to have you on the show, and thank you for uh, catching us up on everything from the queue. Thanks for doing this. Right on, buddy. We'll talk to you again soon. That was Willie Palov from the uh, Halifax Chronicle Herald letting us know what's uh, happening in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League and uh, – some of the ups and downs for a few of the players, especially there with the Mooseheads. Sounds like Charlottetown really taking advantage of uh, the fact that they are the better team when it comes to their, it looks like they're having a, a three-way season uh, between between themselves and the two Nova Scotia-based teams in Halifax and uh, Cape Breton. And the Islanders just uh, piling up the points and the victories uh, because of that. We'll see if uh, the schedule gets expanded a bit and they start playing some other teams whether that success translates or not. Sounds like Willie believes that it will, recognizing uh, that they're a pretty darn good team, and Willie's been around the queue long enough to know uh, when he sees a good team from uh, maybe a paper tiger. Not the case here with the Islanders, according to Willie. Up next here on the Pipeline Show, powered by Wilhawk Beef Jerky, we're going to have a NCAA campus report, and uh, Alex Young is a uh, former Alberta Junior Hockey League player, played with the Canmore Eagles and was a standout for them. 
uh, just wrapping up his uh, freshman season at Colgate University, where he was the leading scorer for the Raiders hockey program. Let's get to know him a bit next here on the Pipeline Show. McLaughlin top the right circle, goal line right, pass through the middle, and a glove save by Colton Point, and a beauty. Man, oh man, what a save by Colton. Hi, it's Colton Point from the Colgate Raiders, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that, and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Johnny Gaudreau. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! Joe Pavelski. And Shane Gossespierre were stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Fights like an old lady. We're back on the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, uh, powered by Wilhawk Beef Jerky, and uh, we're going to have our NCAA Campus Report segment, and that, of course, brought to you by College Hockey, Inc. If you're a player or you have one in your family who is uh, uh, exploring all of their hockey options and you need to know what you can and can't do to maintain your NCAA eligibility, you can get in touch with Mike Snee or Nate Ewell over at College Hockey, Inc., and they can help answer any of the questions that you might have and uh, keep you on track to uh, attend the college of your choice. My next guest might have been in that same boat a couple of years ago as we head down to Colgate and Alex Young just wrapping up your freshman season. Alex, how are things in Colgate? Uh, things are going pretty good. Well, I appreciate you making the time. I know uh, you've got the the playoffs right around the corner, but when you reflect back on what was a, a very unusual season for everybody it was your freshman year uh, and probably not what you expected uh, how, how weird was this past season for you um it's been a little strange you know nothing no expectations to set out everything is kind of just off the rails so far this year um <laughs> but i think it's been pretty good been able to come in and have a good experience and make an impact on the hockey team which i thought was pretty great for a freshman year how sick of uh, seeing Quinnipiac, Clarkson, and uh, St. Lawrence are you? Because every game you guys played was against one of those three teams. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> created some big rivalries and uh, get to know uh, the players on the other team pretty well. So it's uh, been pretty good to play against them and build some rivalries. Was it a huge uh, step up for you to, to get to the college level from the last couple of years uh, in the AJHL? Um, yeah, it's definitely a step up. Uh, I think probably the main thing is just a lot less time and space, and uh, you got to make quick plays all over the ice. You can't really hesitate, or else you're going to get closed in on pretty quick. Uh, I, I know, as a, a really offensive-minded player, I mean, the, the last couple of years, more than a point-per-game player, and uh, even in your rookie season uh, in the AJ, you had 50 points in 60 games. That's a lot of production. Uh, 13 points in 20 games this year, nothing wrong with that as a freshman, but it's a bit of a does it take a mental adjustment a little bit to realize, well, I'm not going to have 35 points this year? Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, just the defensive abilities and defensive level in college is, uh, you know, way higher than it is in juniors. And mm-hmm. just kind of adjusting and changing that mindset that um, it's going to be pretty hard. And especially as a freshman, it's going to be uh, very difficult to be able to put up point-for-game numbers. So just being able this year to – kind of get the 
like point seven points per game and uh, adjust to the league, and then hopefully the next couple of years I'll be able to ramp it up offensively. No, that's it. You led the team in scoring as a freshman. I don't know what your expectations were going into the year, but being a an offensive leader on a team is nothing new to you. But did you think you might be, end up being as the 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 top scorer on the club? Um, not not really the top scorer, but I was definitely hoping to uh, be one of the top three guys there. And mm-hmm. um, coming in, my older brother was already on the team as a sophomore this year, and he uh, was the highest scoring returning player. And um, I thought we were kind of going to be battling it out. Um, luckily, I, I came out on top of him this year, but next year we'll be battling again. <laughs> That's great. I, Colton is your older brother, and uh, I know you have a younger brother uh, as well in uh, in Kyle, uh, who's uh, playing in the AJHL uh, this season. But um, I have an older brother as well, so anytime the younger brother gets to have one up over his older brother, that, that's got to be awesome. Yeah, and uh, I think Colton will definitely be sealed for next year. He's going to take <laughs> that title back for me, I feel like. Now, I know you and Colton have played together in the past in Canmore, uh, but getting to do it at the at the next level as well, uh, that familiarity has got to be nice, but just having that experience with your brother, that's that's got to be a thrill. Yeah, it's pretty cool, and it's something that I don't think most people can say, you know, being able to play hockey and go to college with your brother, uh, it's a pretty cool experience. And um, especially this year, it's been a big help. Just everything's been pretty crazy and having to adjust a lot, having uh, my brother around, someone that I'm comfortable with, and he's in the same boat with me. Uh, and it's pretty helpful. Yeah, I was just reading a, a story at College Hockey uh, News uh, where you you guys were both interviewed and kind of quoted and just having to go through this whole COVID situation, but at least having a family member to go through it with, I would have to think you know, when you're that far away from the rest of your family, having someone uh, that close is also a, a huge benefit. Yeah, it's great. And um, we uh, can get together and talk about things and get to FaceTime our parents and our other siblings back home and kind of makes it feel like you're not so far away sometimes. Alex Young is my guest. He is a uh, freshman forward at uh, Colgate University with the Raiders, uh, played in the Alberta Junior Hockey League for three seasons, all with the Canmore Eagles, uh, very successfully. I should ask you about the NHL draft, uh, seventh-round pick by the San Jose Sharks. Uh, obviously a thrill and an honor to be uh, selected in the, the draft this past September. What were, what were your expectations about the draft, or did you have any? Um. Not not really going into the draft with any expectations. Uh, just hopeful to maybe possibly get selected. Um, and I was a little disappointed that I wasn't selected the previous year when I was 17. But mm. uh, yeah, um, no real expectations. But then was just uh, pretty ecstatic to find out that I got selected. How how much contact have you had with San Jose since the draft? I know uh, they obviously didn't have the the normal summertime prospect camp that all the NHL teams have that the college guys usually get to go and uh, have that experience. So you were robbed of that and uh, didn't have the NHL combine experience and all of those types of things. But uh, what's the contact like been with the Sharks since then? Um, yeah, it was definitely disappointing to not be able to go fly down to San Jose and go on ice for their uh, training camp. But um, does the contact so far has been, they initially called me the day of the draft and then They've been keeping in contact every couple of weeks throughout then and been talking to their head of player development and things like that and just kind of waiting it out until uh, the summertime and maybe they can hold their camp then. Now, you're a Calgary guy, correct, Alex? 
Yeah. So getting to play in Canmore, not that far from Calgary for, for the uh, members of the audience who don't know the Alberta geography, it's pretty close. That experience and uh, being close enough, I'm sure you had lots of friends and family that would be able to watch a lot of your games. How much did you value that time spent in Canmore? Um, I valued it a lot. You know, playing out there, it's a beautiful place to live, and um, being close to home is pretty nice. My my parents and my younger brother would be able to come watch Colton and I play, and uh, friends would come visit too. And um, overall, it was just a, a great experience. How did the league prepare you for the next step, the college route? Being in the AJHL like that, it's it's a feeder league for the college system. Lots of guys from the AJ go on and play Division One hockey. Uh, but uh, wh- why is the AJ so successful in producing players for college hockey? Uh, well, I think it just uh, continues to grow and it's uh, continually providing a competitive league. I mean, you've got teams that are getting college commitments left, right, and center. There's teams that are growing extremely fast and draft picks are coming out of there increasingly every year. Um, and I think just players are seeing it and wanting to play college are seeing it as a pathway to there. And so the skill and the competitiveness just keeps getting better each year. And uh, Luckily, I got into the league and uh, was able to get a scholarship and now uh, come play in college. Did you always know that college was the the path for you? I, I mean, I, I think don't think it's a secret. Most kids that grew up in Canada are probably thinking major junior at uh, at some point. Uh, you were drafted by the Everett Silvertips, so you had that option. Um, but why was the college path the right fit for you? Um, I think just taking a look at my development path and you know, speaking with a couple other coaches and then uh, kind of looking at my history and my growth in, in the game. Um, decided that it was going to take a couple extra years for me to be able to probably peak or hit my stride and where I am development-wise and just decided that at age 16 I would go play uh, AJHL instead of WHL and um, hoping that this pathway would provide me with a better opportunity to play pro. Uh, the sheet I'm looking at uh, is says 5'11", 180 pounds. Is, is that up-to-date still? Yep, that is. Okay. Uh, so do you think you're done growing upwards physically? And I mean, there's still the the natural maturity uh, uh, fit you'll fill out a little bit, just get some man strength and stuff like that. But are, do you think you're done growing upwards? Probably going to be staying at five eleven, maybe five eleven and a half. But right, yeah, that height will probably stay the same. All right, at the collegiate level, are there areas of your game that you still need to work on to? You know, hopefully get to the even the next level after that. I, you got lots of time, so no rush. But do you find uh, are the, do you know inside of you that there are parts of your game that you need to work on? Uh, yeah, of course. I think you know pretty much every player has got lots of areas to work on. Um, for me personally, it's just like I mentioned, the defensive um, just defense in college is a lot higher than it was in junior, and so just adjusting to that and uh, bringing my defensive game up is something that I really need to focus on and uh, bringing that to kind of make myself a more complete player. All right. Well, look ahead to the playoffs. I know you got Quinnipiac uh, coming up on, what, the 18th, something like that. It's uh, uh, The format this year, I mean, it's out the window. It's very different. Um, uh, for you guys, it's it's just one and done against Quinnipiac. Winner moves on, and that's it? Yeah, it is. Just one game. All right. Well, you're coming off a victory against Quinnipiac, and 
that one probably an important one to uh, uh, get the confidence going in the room that you can that you can uh, stick with the Bobcats because I know they they'd had their way with you a couple of times this year. Yeah, that that was a huge win. I mean, we uh, took them to a shootout earlier in the season and then uh, eventually lost in that game. And then uh, it was just a huge confidence boost to beat them in the final regular season game and gain that confidence going into the playoffs. Since we know it's one game, winner takes all, so it could go either way. But just having that confidence since we beat them uh, last game of the year is really helpful. Uh, I know we mentioned your brother Colton is there, another AJHL player. Uh, another guy, Carter Guylander, up from uh, our neck of the woods here around Edmonton, played for the Sherwood Park Crusaders. Terrific freshman season uh, as he uh, became the starting netminder for you guys. Can you tell us about Carter? Um, yeah, he's having a tremendous season this year. He's uh, kind of assumed the starting position, starting goalie on our team, and he's uh, been doing really well, um, kind of been carrying us to a couple big wins and uh, put us in position to succeed um, and just hopefully we can continue that success and in our playoff game we can kind of rely on him and score a couple goals so he doesn't have to take all the work but yeah we're really <laughs> I'm really happy with how he's played and coming from the AJHL we played against each other and play on a couple uh, all-star teams and the team that visited over to Russia in the summer of 2019 That's um, right. so yeah it's great to uh, have him on the team. A uh, better guy to have uh, in your net than uh, than you have to try to shoot on him, right? I mean, big guy, six six. <laughs> yeah. Alex, listen, I really appreciate your time. Uh, best of luck against Quinnipiac here next week, and uh, I, I appreciate that you were able to come on the show. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Alex Young from the Colgate Raiders, the uh, Colgate University Raiders, uh, led the team in scoring this year, and I had to ask him the question about, you know, this is a guy who's used to putting up piles and piles of points yes he led colgate in scoring but when you're used to scoring you know three two three points a game uh, and that's not happening this year even though he's the leading scorer how does a guy react to that and uh, so i wanted to pick his brain with that and i'm glad alex uh, took a second to reflect on that uh, good season for the raiders interesting development uh, in uh, the uh, playoff structure for that conference as Clarkson withdraws from the ECAC tournament because uh, the bulk of their team broke some protocols uh, around uh, what they are and what they're not allowed to do because of uh, COVID-19. Sounds like, according to College Hockey News, as they're quoting multiple sources, most of the members of the hockey team attended a party last weekend in violation of the school's COVID-19 protocols. So Clarkson, done for the year. Unceremoniously, they just withdrew and canceled the remainder of their season. As a result, um, Quinnipiac, they were going to play Colgate. Well, Quinnipiac now, because they're the number one seed, they receive a bye into the uh, the championship game, which will happen on the 20th of March. So St. Lawrence will now host Colgate, and the winner will advance to play Quinnipiac, or Quinnipiac, or both. So how would you feel, man, if you were part of the Clarkson team? Maybe you're a senior and you didn't. I, don't, I have no idea who did or didn't attend this party. But what if this was your senior year? And you didn't go to the party. You know, it said most of the team. didn't say the entire team. If you're one of those players who didn't go and your season got cut short because a bunch of players uh, did that, how do you feel? (sighs) That would be a terrible way to end your season. All right, we got one more segment to go, one more guest to hear from, and that is uh, Brock Otten, who uh, covers the Ontario Hockey League like a boss and... uh, 
Also looking at the those OHL players who are this year, they get to play in the American Hockey League because the OHL hasn't started up yet. How are those guys making out? And what does this mean for the future of the uh, agreement between the NHL and the CHL? We'll find out as we talk to Brock Otten next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhawk Beef Jerky. Hey, it's Zach Glant from the Peterborough Pete. There's a James Taylor, Galant. That's a big goal as he goes upstairs and he's on a roll. Zach Galant. And that cuts the lead to 2-1 right off the faceoff, his seventh. And this is the Pipeline Show. Spruce Grove St. AJHL Hockey is back for the 2020-2021 season. Due to the ongoing pandemic, the attendance is limited at the Grant Fear Arena in Spruce Grove. You can follow along across social media at SG Saints and support the Saints by heading to sprucegrovesaints.ca and purchasing your Cash is King tickets today. Over $33,000 in prizes to be given away. Again, head to sprucegrovesaints.ca for more information. The Spruce Grove Saints, proud supporters of the Pipeline Show. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Yes! That's awesome! This is the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, powered by Wilhock Beef Jerky, and uh want to welcome everybody back. And uh, this segment, we're going to get up to date on uh, what's happening, not just in the OHL, but we're also going to look at the American Hockey League from an OHL perspective, as really interesting this year, because uh, normally... 19, 18, and 19-year-olds can't play in the American Hockey League. Uh, but this year, because uh, there's no league for them to play in or for a lot of them to play in, uh, the rule that rule has been uh, sort of... Uh, it, you can bend that rule a bit this year. And there are a number of OHL players, some guys from the dub who were there, but now that the Western Hockey League has started up, those players have all returned to their club teams. Not the case yet in the OHL, although maybe... Maybe something is uh, developing. Let's find out. Uh, Brock Otten from OHL Prospects and McKean's. Welcome back to the Pipeline Show, Brock. Man, it's been a while since I had you on. Well overdue. How are things? I'm doing good, thanks. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on again. I uh, appreciate it. Well, let's start with the OHL and uh, and what you might be hearing. Are, are we? Is there a, a bit of a thaw in the freeze coming? Uh, do, we, do you get a sense that we might finally get some OHL hockey this year? I mean, it's starting to look a little more optimistic. Uh, this morning, there were some quotes from our Minister of Sport, Lisa McLeod, saying that she's extremely optimistic that the OHL is going to be able to return. Um, they've kind of set a, a date of the next couple of weeks, it sounds like. And she even mentioned that they're going to be able to return with, with body contact. They're just working things over with uh, there are provincial Minister of Health. Or I, I'm not sure what his official title is exactly, but... Uh, it sounds like things are, are working in the right direction finally. Um, and I know for a lot of people, that's that's going to be really good news, whether it's players, scouts, fans. Um, it'll definitely be great if they can finally pull this off and get the OHL back and playing again after, you know, the Q's been successfully playing for, for many months now and the WHL has just recently started. So, you know, uh, it, we're probably still a little ways off because players are going to have to quarantine after they return and whatnot. So yeah. we're probably not looking at a return until – at least mid-April, probably by quarantine and training camps and whatnot. But uh, 
for once, for the first time in, in a little while, the, there's definitely some light at the end of the tunnel, it seems like. Well, that's great to hear. And anytime I think of Lisa McLeod, that's the first thing that comes to mind is that whole, they can't come back with body contact uh, discussion <laughs> from three or four months ago, how ridiculous that was back then. So good to hear that uh, she's figuring out. I guess she's seeing the success that the NHL and every other league in the world is having, uh, despite the uh, the audacity of having body contact. Well, I think the big thing, too, I just recently saw that the WHL hadn't had any positive uh, cases turn up in their original or their preliminary round of testing. So I think, you know, if a province is a little bit hesitant, like Ontario clearly is, mm-hmm. seeing those types of results is definitely going to, to help to sway them in in a direction that, uh, you know, might lend to some hockey being played in Ontario, finally. It's good. All right. Well, in the meantime, uh, a lot of OHL players have been uh, finding a place to play. Some guys have gone to Europe, but those aren't the players we're going to talk about. Uh, today, we're looking at the American Hockey League and the, the number of guys. Did you did you have a running total? How many American League guys or how many OHL guys are playing in the AHL this year? 28. That's that's quite a few, and those are guys who normally would not have that opportunity, right? Right. Uh, so it's definitely great that they're afforded that opportunity. I, I mean, you know, under the circumstances, I'm sure we would have preferred things to be normal, but this is not a normal year, right? So uh, it's great that they were able to to get into the AHL based on the fact that the OHL wasn't running, and um, you know, it's great that 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 was able to happen for their development. Obviously, it's not great for these types of high-end prospects to just be sitting around or, you know, conversely for NHL teams to have to use up a spot on their taxi squad mm-hmm. uh, to have these guys fresh because obviously for some of these players like a Jamie Drysdale or a, a Philip Tomasino or a Quentin Byfield, they want them playing. They're highly invested in their development. So, you know, just practicing on, on the taxi squad isn't going to be the best thing compared to, say, getting into some really high-end game action at the HLL and, you know, playing a ton of, uh, in all responsibility as well. I know the question at the start was going to be, all right, is there a risk involved in this having 18- and 19-year-olds playing against men? And what have you thought so far? Has that been a, a valid concern? a really good question and I don't think we've really seen anybody suffer a really severe injury I know Tyson Forrester went really hard on the boards earlier in the year and there was some Mm -hmm. fear that that injury was was going to be pretty significant but uh, you know he's back already and so that one was a a dodged bullet ultimately from watching a lot of the action in the AHL this year and then seeing how these guys are performing I would say no. Uh, I think that they're all performing very admirably. Um, you know, obviously some players are getting more ice time than others. Yeah. Uh, so there is some sort of sheltering going on for, for some players, obviously. And not every player is getting into the same amount of games. You know, some of these 28 players are getting into, you know, three or four games only so far this year playing, you know, six or seven minutes a night. Whereas as others like Drysdale and, and Byfield and, and Tomasino, the three that I mentioned earlier, these are guys that are playing top line minutes and, and, uh, you know, they're handling it really well. Uh, obviously, there are some players that aren't handling it quite as well from, from a physicality standpoint. I think a physical maturity standpoint. But I mean, if anything, it's showing them what they need to work towards, right? Um, this wasn't a normal year in terms of having prospect development camps and uh, a really long training camp where these players would have been given a really long look at, that level to see sort of what their 
uh, strength they need to be at, what their conditioning need to be at to play at that level. So this is sort of a nice uh, introduction for them. Um, you know, a quicker pace, stronger defenders, stronger players, um, you know, but not quite at the level as the NHL. And, and I think the one thing that it's proven, um, and, you know, if you look at, you know, what hockey Twitter is talking about, what some of the analysts are talking about, what, what sports now, what, what some of the articles that you're seeing come up now is all about, you know, is the current CBA and the current agreement with the CHL and the AHL, you know, is it outdated? Should we be allowing these players to play in the league every year, not just in these weird COVID circumstances? Because obviously with so many playing so well, is this the best place for their development rather than, you know, playing a 20 year old season in, in the CHL? All right, let's put a pin in that question. We'll end the conversation today. We'll get back to that, but uh, I, I want to find out more about the some of the individual performances that you've uh, uh, had a chance to watch, and I know you've talked to a bunch of guys. Brock Otten is my guest. His uh, uh, blog is at ohlprospects.blogspot.com, uh, but you're also writing for McKean's, and the series that you're putting together right now, I know it's started to come out. Uh, maybe just tell people what it's about and where they can find it. Yeah, so you can find it on, on McKean's, uh, McKean'sHockey.com. It's a seven-part series, uh, so four players each series. There's 28, so I'll be looking at uh, how each of these OHL players has played so far in, in their uh, HL seasons. Um, it's got video breakdowns. It's got an analysis of you know where they were coming from previously, so what their OHL season looked like last year, um, and then looking at how they're performing in the AHL, and then finally sort of an outlook if the OHL is able to start up this year and thinking about the types of expectations that can be placed upon them if they're returning. Um, so there's a lot of different things that I just in, in these pieces. They're, they're pretty lengthy, but I think they're well worth the read. If, you know, you're interested in the uh, update of these OHL players and, and how they're performing this year with no OHL going. Is there one guy that immediately comes to mind when you think of, all right, who has performed the best out of these OHL guys that are in the American Hockey League? Because I can look at the stats and, and you know pick out some of the names, but uh, is there one guy that immediately jumps to the forefront for you? So the first thing that jumps out is Jamie Drysdale. So I haven't done as much of a, a breakdown on him as as some of the other guys yet because I haven't reached that part of the writing process in okay. the series. I'm about halfway done, uh, but I did write a piece for for NBC Roto World on him, so I did watch some of his games, and I'm just really impressed with how good he's looked defensively. I think we all knew that Drysdale was going to to be a factor offensively, no matter what level he was playing at with his skating ability, with how well he thinks the game. I didn't anticipate, you know, that being an issue, that sort of translation of his offensive game. But I think defensively, he's been able to prove, you know, that he can handle you know, playing through traffic. He's winning those battles in the corners. He's winning those battles in front of the net you know, with his mobility and his quickness. You know, he's, he's really preventing teams from establishing possession in the, in his defensive zone because he's getting to those dump ins really quick. He's getting the breakout started, uh, you know, just like he did as an Erie Otter. And I think the transition for him has been, been seamless. And I think that Anaheim has to be extremely pleased with, with how much he's progressed from, from a conditioning standpoint and how well he's looked defensively because Quite frankly, you know, I, to me, it looks like he's ready for an NHL role next year. And mm. that's maybe a little bit more accelerated than what maybe Anaheim had thought. I mean, you do see your, um, you know, your top 10 
selections playing in the NHL on a more advanced rate. But with defenders, sometimes there is that tendency to, to take their time. And I think Drysdale definitely looks a little bit ahead of schedule. I think he's looked fantastic. Drysdale's got nine points in 12 games for San Diego. That's as you and I are speaking right now. It's it's Wednesday for the uh, benefit of the audience. The show will come out on the weekend. Uh, so there might be another game in there for him. Uh, but a guy like Zade Wisdom has nine points for Lehigh Valley, and Phil Tomasino has nine points for the Chicago Wolves. So all of these guys are playing so well. I wonder if there's a concern, you know, they're having so much sex, success and fun at the American Hockey League level, suddenly they got to come back to the OHL, and I wonder if that's going to be a bit of a downer for some of these guys. I think, yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think we always sort of see that in, in a normal year when, when players get a long look at – the NHL level, you know, a really long extended stay in training camp or, or maybe they get in some exhibition games or maybe even a couple games look before they get sent back because their ELC is going to kick in. Right. When they return to the OHL or, or the CHL in general, sometimes there is that sort of lag the first month. It's not on all players. Sometimes you see guys come back and they just dominate immediately, right? They, yeah. They've seen the level that they need to play at and it's, it's encouraged them more. It, it makes them hungry. But other guys, it's sort of that discouraging thing if they've had a taste of it and now they've got to go back to you know riding the bus and and living at a billet's house and it's just yeah like you said it it has to be somewhat disparaging um and there needs to be that motivation to to quite frankly dominate at their level the way that they can right um you know so if a guy like phil tomasino is a perfect example right he's playing extremely well for chicago nashville has the opportunity if the OHL starts up to say, okay, you know, this is a player who's excelled. We as a team, we're struggling. You know, do we give Phil Tomasino a chance? If they don't and they elect to send him down to the OHL again, is that going to, you know, cause sort of a, a rut for him, you know, when he goes back saying like, look, like I, I was a point per game player in Chicago. You know, I think I should be in the NHL instead of, you know, being back in Oshawa. Now, knowing Tomasino the way that I do I don't think that would be the case but that you know that's just one of the many examples that you don't know what's going through these kids heads when when they do go back and you know especially if we don't know what the conditions are going to be with an OHL return if it does happen right you know uh is there going to be a Memorial Cup this year probably not so I mean ultimately what's the end goal here is is the playoff going to really be as important now, on the flip side, does, is the AHL even going to have a playoffs this year, right? So that's another thing. Uh, it, it's hard to say what, what the mindset would be with, with some of these kids. And I think it's a really good question as to whether, you know, there will be a lull in if some of these players are returned or when. I wanted to touch on a couple of other guys that uh, I thought I, I was a little surprised to see how quickly they've sort of uh, made that jump and had success at the next level. And uh, Michael Vukojevic is, is the first guy that came to mind because stay-at-home physical sort of defenseman, suddenly he's found an offensive side to his game. And, you know, Kitchener's a, a team that usually has a, lots of offense with them, but he's he's almost a point-per-game player, and he, he was at one point. He's not shooting the lights out, but five points in seven games for him is pretty pretty strong offensive numbers. Yeah, no, I think he's had uh, a really good start to his AHL career. Uh, I think that he's looked a lot better offensively than I anticipated he would have. He seems to be riding a real confidence high with the puck. Mm -hmm. Lukojevic is a player who's really developed as an offensive player over his OHL career, too. You know, that's sort of something that's been, I think, a focus for him. 
uh, you know, improving his first pass is, is his exit, improving his confidence in terms of carrying the puck out of his zone and, and really um, evading four checkers and, and gaining the confidence to to pinch when he needs to and, and even play on the power play and walk the line. Um, I do think that those numbers have been somewhat inflated, you know, looking at and watching some of his games. Some of those assists were sort of uh, – the cheaper variety, you know, like a chip out that ends up working out the right way or, okay. you know, just throwing a shot on net and a lucky bounce. So, you know, that was one thing that I looked at at first, looking at these numbers. I'm like, wow, okay, like Bukovic must be finding that next level offensively. And he definitely, definitely looks a lot more confident than than he has in the past. So that that's definitely a plus. But I do think that the, the numbers have been slightly inflated. Um, I don't think that, you know, looking at these numbers – the way that you know he started with uh, with the Devils organization in the AHL, I don't think we look at them and suddenly evaluate him as a future power play quarterback or mm-hmm. a guy who's going to be putting up thirty or forty points at the NHL level. But I do think it's it's great that he has built up more confidence in his ability carrying the puck and you know taking a few more chances aggressively uh, as an offensive player. And I think that when we go when he goes back to Kitchener again, hypothetically. Uh, I think that'll be great for his development. I think there's a guy where playing in the AHL is going to be terrific for, you know, his development and his mindset where, you know, he's been able to to play a little bit on the power play at the pro level. And he's been able to gain some confidence and say like, look, this is something that, you know, I can do. And, and now I'm going back to the OHL and the pace is going to slow down. The players are not going to be as quick. The players are not going to be as strong. You know, this is an opportunity for me to really see what I'm capable of offensively and sort of push the envelope a little bit. Uh, we mentioned briefly Zane Wisdom and uh, and Quinton Byfield, but what about Ryan Suzuki and Cole Perfetti? Here's a, a couple of high-profile guys who seem to be playing pretty well, too. So Suzuki uh, really is playing well. Uh, the numbers you know, might not be as eye-popping as a guy like uh, Phil Tomasino on the same team, but that's just because he's not getting the same kind of ice time. Um, I mean, he is getting a lot of power play time with Chicago right now, but at even strength, just not quite as much uh, as Tomasino. They're, they're a very good team in Chicago, very high scoring, very deep. Um, so he's definitely doing the best that he can with, with the ice time that he's getting. I think the big thing for Suzuki for me is just, you know, seeing the lack of fear and the improvement in his um, tenaciousness and, and his compete level and just how consistent he's been playing through traffic. That's always sort of been the knock on, on Ryan Suzuki as an OHL player is, you know, where is that fire consistently, right? He, he's always been such a strong playmaker, and, and that's always been his strength is, is how he creates, how creative he is with the puck on his stick in the offensive zone. But, you know, when he doesn't have it and when he's, you know, not in the offensive zone, you know, what kind of impact is he making or is he having? And, uh, I think that his progression as a two-way player and his progression as as somebody who can, you know, make an impact, not carrying the puck and, and driving the net, and you know, being willing to to take a beating in front of the net to to score a goal, and just having more confidence in himself to compete in the corners. I, I think that, uh, you know, how he's played with Chicago has been has been terrific, and I think that Carolina has to be extremely happy with with what he's shown. Perfetti, uh, I think it's sort of been like a tale of two stories. I think on the power play, he's looked terrific. Mm. I think he's looked like Cole Perfetti. Um, you know, he, he's making quick decisions with the puck. He's being aggressive in getting into those shooting lanes. Um, you know, he, he's making dynamic plays to, to hold possession at even strength. I, I found that he's been a little bit overwhelmed 
Uh, I think we're not quite seeing him at a level where he's strong enough to, to make a consistent impact at five on five. Um, and I think that, you know, it, it's China, it's kind of shown that he's someone that's maybe a little bit further off in, in his development compared to some of these other guys. And I, and I think that's important to, to take note of, right? When we're comparing him to somebody like Phil Tomasino, right? We're comparing a player that's a year younger, right? Cole Perfetti was just drafted. Um, so there's obviously that extra year uh, of physical maturation and an extra year of, of off season conditioning. Right. So uh, I, I, you know, I think we have to look at it and say like, just because Cole Perfetti is struggling a little bit at even strength. I mean, we can't write him off as a prospect. I think when we look at some of these performances at the AHL level, we do need to take them with a grain of salt to, to some degree. I mean, there are certain things that you can pull out and say like, you know, this is something that, maybe is alarming or this is something that is really eye-popping in a positive way. Um, whereas Cole Perfetti, it's kind of me watching him saying like, you know, this is kind of what I expected a little bit, him to struggle at five on five, but for him to stand out at, uh, you know, with the man advantage. And it just shows that, you know, a year from now, it'd be interesting to see and, and compare and contrast uh, to see the growth in his game. Okay, Brock, let's end it. Let's go back to the question. Uh, does this open the door for maybe more of a permanent change uh, to allow 18, 19-year-old guys who are drafted and signed by their, their NHL parent club, should they be allowed the opportunity to play in the American Hockey League? You and I are both CHL guys, and selfishly, I think it would be very bad for the CHL. I don't think it hurts a player to stay longer in the uh, in the Canadian Hockey League. I, I don't think it's ever been detrimental uh, for a guy to go back an extra year uh, to major junior, but maybe that's just me being selfish. Uh, what's your take? You know, it's 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 tough. I've thought about this question because it's definitely something that's in the limelight right now. Everybody's talking about it, right? And it's kind of hard to eliminate your bias, like you yeah. said. We're we're CHL guys, so this is something that you know we've written about and we've covered for a long time. And you know, trying to eliminate that bias is very tough. On one hand, I'm with you. No player has ever been hurt by being sent back to the OHL or the WHL or the QMJHL or going back to college for another year. Nobody's been ever hurt by dominating their year or their, their league uh, another year. There's mm-hmm. always things that you can work on, right? You're never going to be a perfect player. Um, that said, you know, looking at the kind of success that some of these players have had from a, a selfish sort of perspective, you know, our, by hogging them, are we hurting their development? Are we preventing them from, you know, reaching those professional goals a year earlier because of what this agreement has in place? Right. So maybe, maybe there is a middle ground there. You know, I, I think that we have to be very careful with opening the floodgates. Like you said, uh, I think that if we set this up in a way where, you know, a, an OHL team or a WHL team or a QMJL team is going to be completely gutted, it's going to be very bad for the league. Hypothetically, you know, what if you're talking about a team that had four first rounders, right? All if you make a rule that says, okay, an NHL team is allowed to uh have their first round selections play in the in the AHL uh under 20, right? Then that OHL or WHL or QMJL team is is now gutted, right? You're mm-hmm. taking their four best players away from them earlier than than they would have right you they've played two years maybe 
before they're playing in the NH, uh, in the AHL. I think that's something that they really have to, to tread lightly with because, you know, it's a development league and the development leagues are only going to be as good as the competition that they're putting forth. Yeah. Right. You look at the USHL right now, for example, there's a reason why this is sort of like a, uh, a crowning, a crowning moment in, in American hockey, right? Because the USHL has risen to the point where the quality of that league is infinitely better than where it was years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, right? So it's yep. pushing players to be better. Do we want to water down the CHL and, and its teams uh, to a point where, you know, the players aren't being pushed enough? Uh, it's, it's something that I really don't know where I stand it, because like you, I feel like I am biased. I feel like if I were to make, you know, a judgment call on that. I would say that I do think these players still need to go back if if they're not ready. But at the same time, you know, maybe we are holding them back. So it's it's kind of a double edged sword here. Well, and here's exactly what I've thought long and hard about this as well. And I think the compromise I would be willing to make. And again, I'm I'm coming at this from a biased media perspective, but I would restrict an NHL team. I would say you have the ability to take one of your prospects, a 19 year old. And play him in the American Hockey League, but you can do that with one guy every three years. So really limit it to ex- almost like the exceptional status rule uh, that we have in the CHL. So maybe this year it's Phil Tomasino, and the Nashville Predators can say, all right, Phil Tomasino, he can play in the American Hockey League as a 19-year-old, but for the next, you know, until three years from now, we can't do that again. That That would be my compromise. Yeah, and I think that's a great idea. I think some sort of compromise like that, that prevents teams from finding loopholes too, right? Um, and abusing the system to get Absolutely. more of their plays, players in the AHL. I, I think you really have to be careful with that. So some type of restriction on it like that, that really makes teams think, okay, like this is a player who is 100% not being challenged at the CHL level anymore. We really want them in the AHL, so we're going to use our exemption. You know, maybe it's every three years, maybe it's every two years, right? But I think if they make it every year, you know, we're really risking watering down the CHL and the talent level in it. And obviously it's going to rise. It's going to allow other players who normally wouldn't be afforded that opportunity uh, the chance to rise maybe a little bit earlier than they would have. But, you know, another compromise that I would say maybe is that it's only players who are uh, 19. So not players who are recently drafted so that we're not having these 18-year-old kids in the yeah. AHL like we're seeing this year. So, you know, in a normal year, somebody like Quinton Byfield or Jamie Drysdale uh, wouldn't be able to play in the AHL. But, you know, under certain exemptions, guys like Tomasino would be, where they've played, you know, at least three seasons in the CHL already, um, you know, and and left their mark in, in that league and and elevated the play of their teammates and, and showed them what it's what they need to do to, to be a pro. Cause I think that leadership component is also really important for these mm-hmm. kids, you know, players who have gone through the draft at a high level players who have had that taste of professional hockey, because the knowledge that they're going to bring to the dressing room is also going to be extremely higher and extremely valuable. Right. So that's another element. You, if you take that out, I mean, uh, I don't know. There's just so many working parts. So I, I agree. I think that if they do it and, yeah, I think it could be beneficial to some kids. I think they really need to be careful with, with an exemption, like you said, like exactly like they have in the CHL where we're looking at a case-to-case basis where, you know, if a player is ready, then maybe we don't want to hold them back, but we really need to be careful there. 
Yeah, but we got to limit it. Uh, well, listen, Brock, we just solved everything. Uh, they should just call us and and uh, we can write it down for them and, and everybody can move forward. We'll hash it out. Exactly. Brock, I really appreciate your time, man. It was great to catch up and uh, it definitely won't be uh, this long before I have you on again. Awesome. Thanks, man. Uh, take care. There's Brock Otten, and man, I got to get him on the show more often. I used to get him on all the time back when we were on radio, and I don't know why it kind of uh, faded away, but that is more on me than uh, on him. Well, it's completely on me, um, but I will rectify that. Great stuff uh, from Brock. I really appreciate uh, his uh, his time and becoming available uh, to come on the Pipeline Show and let me know what you think about that conversation and specifically about the potential. Do you, do you want to see... CHL players playing in the American Hockey League from now on? I don't. And I said it at the end there. I, I don't think it's ever hurt a player to spend another year in the Canadian Hockey League. It's hurt lots of guys to uh, be pushed too quickly into pro hockey. Um, I do understand the concept of some guys are ready for that challenge. Maybe not the NHL challenge, uh, but it would be beneficial for some guys to uh, play in the American Hockey League as 19-year-olds. But if you just make it a rule that it's okay, I think teams will abuse it, and I don't think it will be beneficial to every player that is put in that situation. I almost think you have to legislate against uh, teams, uh, the potential of them abusing it. So that's why I, I mentioned the compromise at the end. For me, I think that's the way I would go about it. But let me know what you think. Uh, Brock is the final guest of the week. He joined his courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline, but Brock was the final guest of this week's episode, which means it's cleanup time and time for me to remind you to get a bidet. Get with modern times. You know, I was thinking about it. North America, we, we like to think that we are the best at whatever it is around the world. Bidets in North America, not as common as they are in other parts of the world. And I think we really got to embrace that uh, other cultures they know what's going on, especially some of the ones that have been around for a long time. And a bidet is very popular in parts of the world, and for good reason. They are fantastic. If you haven't had a chance to try a bidet yet, uh, I highly recommend it. You will, you will thank me for it. Stop wiping and start washing. Uh, stop being a caveman. Just think, if you're gardening all day and you're covered in dirt and grime. You don't uh, go to uh, to clean your hands just by uh, wiping them on a towel. Of course not. You wash your hands. Well, it's the same thing. It's the same concept. Well, if it's good enough for your hands, why wouldn't it be good enough for your butt? So, the website for you to go to is hellotushy.com slash pipeline. Hellotushy.com slash pipeline. Why pipeline? Because... They're tracking to see how many people hear about it on the program and go there and buy it. It's called a referral. Hey, you get 10% off just for using that website, just for using putting pipeline at the end of that website. HelloTushy.com slash pipeline. You get an extra 10% off. Buy one. You'll like it so much you might consider buying two, and you will thank me for it. HelloTushy.com slash pipeline. Next week on the Pipeline Show, well, that guest that I had lined up this week his name was Sebastian Kosa. It was going to be a 2021 draft spotlight segment. Wasn't able to join me this week, so we will do it next week. We will also get uh, caught up on what's happening in the WHL as uh, the Eastern Division will have uh, played this weekend and we'll be getting ready to uh, welcome back the U.S. Division. College hockey playoffs will have advanced, so we'll keep tabs on what's happening there as well. So lots that we're going to get to next week on the show 
Quick reminder, if you are getting your copy of the Pipeline Show through iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is, if you have the opportunity to give it a quick rating and or a comment, I would really appreciate that because your feedback will encourage uh, newcomers to the show to give the the show a a try. Not everybody is automatically going to understand what the Pipeline Show is all about. So what you tell them might be the tipping point. You might be the person that introduces somebody to their new favorite podcast. And you do that with a comment or a rating or both. And of course, uh, if you would like to become a patron and have early access to all the interviews that you hear on the Pipeline Show on a full episode, these interviews that I did this week were done on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. So as I'm putting this together, it's Friday. Patrons have had access to these interviews for three days already. Patrons also get advance notice of the guests who are coming up on the show. So if they want to submit questions, they can do that. They can also request guests. So there's lots of benefits to becoming a patron, which you can do at patreon.com slash the pipeline show until next week everybody continue to uh, support and and, uh, be kind to each other take care of your neighbors take care of your friends and family stay safe and we'll see you next week thanks again to the new sponsor new title sponsor wilhock beef jerky you can check them out online their website is wilhock that's spelled w-i-l-a-u-k wilhockbeefjerky.com w-i-l-h-a-u-k beefjerky.com. Until next week, my name's Keith Flaming. See ya.